Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who like to take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's show number 474 for June 17th, 2020. On today's show, we are continuing our theme of joinery. We're going to talk about the classic mortise and tenon joint. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out their summer savings sale, which includes all of the tools and accessories you need for your shop. Sale runs from May 29th to July 2nd, so don't miss it. And for those of you in the Pittsburgh area, I said it right that time, (laughs) Rockler's new location is in the Robinson Town Center. It's now open. Go check it out. It's uh, it's lots of good stuff. Every Rockler store is like a... Well, you ever see the beginning of uh, Willy Wonka? You know, when they went into the, the chocolate <laughs> factory? It's a lot like that, just with yes, tools instead of chocolate. It's just a big, giant death trap for your children. That's right. Oh, wait. Don't bring your kids. That's not what you meant by that, did you? <laughs> it could be, depending on, uh, you know, if they're running demos and if the tools are plugged in. Or if there's a chocolate river. <laughs> Avoid the chocolate river at all Rockler stores and you'll be safe. Yeah. <laughs> why, why you do this right before I was supposed to say stuff? Sorry. Ah, it's time for Matt's <laughs> Patreon message. <laughs> if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank Brian Wolford, Jason Bent, Michael Brindle, and Dana Seidel. Sweet! That's awesome. Thank you, everybody, Maybe? for supporting yeah. us. That's, that's great. We'd like to see it. Solid names this week, everybody. <laughs> Very solid names. Solid Good names. You. Good work from everybody all around. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulate your parents for giving you a solid, <laughs> solid name that Matt can pronounce. <laughs> Life goal or achieved. Or did I? <laughs> yeah, you, never, you never quite know. I can't wait to hear from Jason Bent telling me I said his name wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks, bon. man. Jason Bond. Jason Bond. It must be French. I think that's what it is. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into our main topic today. Mortise and tendons, kind of a big topic. I hope we do some justice to it because uh, it's, it, it, it's, it's a fundamental joint in woodworking. It's one that you should know and love. And even if you're into quick joinery, you know, like uh, you do all, some of these alternatives, you do some uh, pocket screws here and there, or uh, maybe you have a domino. Um, there is a lot to be said. Domino. That's Stupid. Not joint. Yeah. That's a domino. That, Come on now. That's just a, it's a glorified biscuit, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's, biscuit. it's so fundamental that if you can cut successfully the, the female and the male side of that joint, there's a lot of skills that you have to master to be able to execute that. And those skills are super helpful uh, across the, the, the world of woodworking that you do. So uh, it's definitely worth learning, definitely worth looking into, and we will... Uh, well, let's talk about it a did, little bit. Did you so, read that from your book just now? <laughs> no, no, I should. Actually, you want me to go to the mortise and tenon chapter? 
and start narrating. Why, why don't you just read that and then I, we'll see you back for the mid roll? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just start reading. Okay. I'm really upset that I don't have a book near me that I can Essential just Essential joinery corner with Mark. We need- All right. So now we need to make Mark like one of those, like in case of emergency, break glass with his book behind it, <laughs> hanging in his office. <laughs> Uh, with, you know, with, I'm getting up to get my book. A little, a little. I think you need more wall space in your office. <laughs> fancy hammer hanging next every to week. It. You're gonna have some new wall thing. Well, I'm gonna use some of my joinery that's in my book to learn how to make oh. those things. How about that? Oh, nope. Okay, here we go. The mortise and tenon is easily the most common structural woodworking joint. By cutting a deep recess in one piece, the mortise, and milling the end of the adjoining piece to the same dimension as the recess, the tenon. We gain an incredible amount of mechanical strength and glue surface when the two are brought together. Wow. How is Mark's voiceover voice? Mortises. The mortise is... The, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about it. Got some questions here that we're going to kind of try to answer. <clears throat> How do you usually cut your mortises and your tenons? Matt, go. Okay. Uh, so normally I use the mortiser to cut the mortises. Uh, but recently on the garden bench, I did the, uh, the router thingy, well, whatever thingy we want to call it. Well, router, router cut mortise. Yeah, yeah. That, How'd you like the, the, the difference between them? So over the years, I've kind of poo pooed the router method just because it get, leaves you with those stupid rounded corners. Mm-hmm, sure. But it's, yeah, if you take a little more of like a, I don't know, a fast and loose approach with rounding over your tenons. Yeah. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. And it's not that slow either, or hard to set up. So I don't like. I, it's. I think it's honestly like on par with speed, as far as using the mortiser. If you take away the fact that you gotta like adjust your tenons to fit, cutting them is like about the same. Set up and cut, relatively similar. Um, and maybe that's a little more approachable for most people because a lot of people have routers. Not everybody has a mortiser. Sure. Yeah. Right. A little specialized. Yeah. So I I didn't hate it. I'll say that much. That's good. I didn't hate it, and I still haven't fixed my mortiser, so I'll probably use that one again in the near future. I'm a big fan of it, though. I, I actually really gravitate toward it. If I'm not going to do a domino joint, I'm usually going to pick up the router with an edge guide, mark a start and stop line, use the edge guide to you know get the uh, distance from the edge, and plow that sucker with a router bit, a good good quality spiral bit. Uh, it's a nice, clean mortise, and once you get the hang of it, it's pretty repeatable. And uh, good, clean, smooth walls on the mortise. I I really like it. Something else like I kind of poo-pooed over the years was like the router-based method with the edge guide and using two fences. I'm like, ah, you don't need two fences. Mm-hmm. Just hold the router. Two fences is fantastic. It's like, <laughs> there's no guesswork. You're like, okay, cool. Move the router back and forth. You don't have to worry about keeping it pressing to the wood at all. You just go. Yeah. And like, this is like, it's like as close like a domino as you get. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's there's no thinking. It's pretty dumb. You're like, proof. okay, just don't plunge too deep. And uh, there you go. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, you'd have to work hard to do something wrong in that situation. Exactly. Yeah, it. that's the cool. more. It's a little more dummy proof, which is good for for me, for this guy over here. Yeah, for the big dump, <laughs> this big dummy. I don't nice. think I've ever about, tried about, that. I don't think I've ever tried two fences. That sounds intriguing. It's super dummy proof. This is the router can't go side to side. It can only go back and forth or whatever. No, limits your motion in only one direction, the direction of the long axis of the mortise. I'm just trying to think of my last router. Could I put two fences on it? Or are you just like attaching it to the base plate? Well, you could. I mean, you, just, you can clamp a block of wood to the base plate and access the second fence. Because yeah. really, you're not in theory, like on most projects, you're not, you're not making something, you're not morsing into a part that's wider than your base plate. Right. Like mm-hmm. you're morsing a six by six, maybe. But for like a leg on a table, like an inch and a half square or something, like you have no problem covering that with your base plate. So you could clamp a block of wood on there as an edge guide. And even if you don't even have an edge guide, you can clamp two blocks of wood at each side because you probably have enough room for that. Mm. It's also good for stabilization. So if you're doing a piece that's a little bit yeah. thinner, uh-huh. uh, most of the time if I'm using an edge guide, I'll just double up and grab another work piece, put it together, make a sandwich that makes it a little bit thicker. Uh, but if you do put that other edge guide on the other side, it straddles the the workpiece and actually mm-hmm. makes it a little bit more stable. Yeah, I can't really tip because it can't roll. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about your, how about, well, you know what? Let's, let's focus on mortises since we're kind of down that path. Uh, Shannon, let's talk about your antiquated, ridiculous way of making mortises. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Brute force. <laughs> <laughs> now that I set you up so well. 
Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> if, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if it's a through mortise, I will generally bore it through, um, you know, bore it so the bit pokes out the other side, flip it over, and then start the hole again so I don't blow out the backside. Mm-hmm. And then that's just a quick pairing job back to my lines. <clears throat> um, if it is, well, I should say, if, if, if definitely if a through mortise, because I find that I get a cleaner, cleaner exit. Um, if I, if I bore it out and then just pair, cause there's very little brute force there. It's just, you know, light, light mm-hmm. chisel work sure. and real easy to sneak right up onto the line. Um, but if my mortise, if it's a, it's a blind mortise, if that mortise goes like deeper than about two inches, I generally will bore it out maybe even one and a half inches just cause it's a much faster way to get the bulk of that waste out of there. Um, the rest of the time, though, and especially over the last couple of years, I've really spent a lot more time chopping my mortises, and I've just kind of gotten a lot better at it, um, mm-hmm. really relying upon the bevel to do the work. I mean, it's not it's not really about a sharpness thing, you know, with, with the chisel, because if the chisel's super sharp, it's probably going to be dull by the time you're done banging on it with a mallet anyway. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. really, it's all about the lever and the wedge action when it comes to pulling that out. And I've just discovered that it can actually be really fast work. If, you know, normally what I would do is as I'm chopping, I'm kind of moving in the direction of the bevel and you're like, you take a little step forward and you chop again. And these days I've discovered that it's not about taking a little step forward. I'll like chop it and then step forward a quarter of an inch and chop it again and just lever out the waist in between, go another quarter inch. And you end up doing, you know, your typical, you know, how long's your typical mortise? Maybe three inches, um, maybe four inches, who knows? But you do that in like, you know, eight chops. And after that one pass, I'm like an inch deep at that point. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that I've discovered. It's, it's actually really a hell of a lot faster than you might think it would be. Uh, but you you kind of have to, you have to be aggressive and not be afraid to lever out huge hunk, hunks of wood in between. Mm-hmm. So. And then maybe that changes just because I, I'm using an actual mortise chisel, big heavy duty mortise chisel now as compared to like a, a lighter weight bench chisel. But yeah, that can definitely help for sure. Cool. All right. So let's move on to tenons. Um, Matt, what do you do for tenons? Mm, okay. So usually I do like I'll cut the shoulders at the crosscut slit, just kind of score them. And then I set up a dado stack to get the tenon to the right thickness. And then I have a little bit of material to clean up at the shoulder. But it leaves me with a perfect shoulder, which is very important. So step back. You you use the standard blade, whatever blade was I on there. I use a crosscut blade. Okay, crosscut blade. I don't blade. use a standard blade. <laughs> Look, Come what's on this now. standard stuff? <laughs> okay, so you're... you're it's a high tooth count crosscut blade to establish my shoulders nice and crisply. With my crosscut sled, which is nice and square. Yeah. What's it got a nicely perfectly wrapped shoulder? What's wrong with your dado stack that you can't get a crisp I, shoulder? I don't trust dado stacks <laughs> for crap. <laughs> it just seems like an extra step, Matt. Yeah, that's what it, it is an extra step. Yeah. An extra step towards perfection. Theore- Mark. Theoretically. Theoretically. Don't forget, I've seen your work up close. Let's let's not get too feisty here. <laughs> Well, I mean, that that's, see, that's one of the things. The dado stack for me is such a time saver. I would not, I could not fathom taking the extra step, even if the results are just a little bit better. Um, yeah, but you hate changing blades anyway. You can't fathom. The that's true. I'm only going to change it once and it's going to be for that, for that dado stack. <laughs> you bring up a good point, sir. I'm surprised you don't do the speed tenon thing all the time with no changing the blade at all. I don't love that. No. I, don't, yeah, I don't love that. I just don't love running a... <laughs> Uh, a piece of wood sideways over a blade repeatedly. I, I don't love it. I like. I, you know, I just don't. I just don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's something I like. I mean, it's fine. It's fine if that works for someone. That's great. I, I don't. I don't love that. <laughs> that's cool though. There's nothing wrong with that. So, so here's the thing. I, I do obviously very similar. I, I skip that first step, but I will also clean up the cheeks uh, or, or establish the cheeks with a, a dado stack. So. And this ties into, you know, Shannon's methods as well with using such a focus on hand tools. Uh, how much refinement do you leave yourself? Do you try to nail it so that everything's just going to be perfect right off at the saw? Or are you hitting that with some hand tools afterwards? Straight off the saw. I usually could. As much as possible. Sorry, Matt. I try to, I do a test one and I try it on like a few of the different mortises to kind of get a feel for oh my variability. God. I have my mortises. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's all. Be quiet, Shannon. What, 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 what's your objection, Shannon? What's the problem? 
That just sounds so tedious. Just <laughs> saw the tedious. line and fit the, the dang right joint. <laughs> I'm going to saw them all at once. That's the difference. The, the difference is, is I've laid them all out and you guys with repeatable power tools don't necessarily have to lay them out. Right? You lay one out and then the rest follows. Soon. Yeah. So you've done your test joint and you've set your stop blocks and all your fancy thingamabobber, you know, laser guided crap. And it's because you can't afford a stop block. <laughs> Doesn't mean that I'm, you're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> you're not better than me. Uh, no, I, I think I think that's the thing because I've gotten down this rabbit hole before. You talk about how it really doesn't have to be slow to be hand tools, but there is a lot of layout. Like if I don't have a line to follow, I'm 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 out. You know, <laughs> you know you can't. You don't you have can't the muscle memory. <laughs> no, apparently not. Apparently, I can't do that. But, you know, sawing to a line is really all it's about as long as you have a line. So, yeah, yeah. for me, it doesn't really make sense because if, if I am to me, it's harder to saw away from a line than it is to saw to the line. And if you're purposely cutting it fat with the idea that I'll sneak up on it later with a rabbit plane or something like that, um, you, you're purposely sawing away from the line, which I think you find you're actually less accurate by trying to do that. Because now you're like, all right, well, I'm going to saw an eighth of away, an eighth of an inch from my line. And now you're like, unless you draw another line, that's an eighth of an inch. But if you can saw to that line, why didn't you just saw to the other line in the first place? Right. Yeah. Well, interesting thing with the, the, the power tool side of things is one of the arguments, of course, for power tools is repeatability, accuracy. Like once, theoretically, once you have that setting, let's say you cut your mortises with the mortiser or a router bit, they should all be the same. So if you can get your tendons to all be the same, it should be perfect, right? Theoretically. Uh, and maybe it's just the way that I do this stuff or the tools that I'm using to do it. But as much as theoretically, you should be able to batch out 10, 12 tenons and they're all going to be the same. I find that actually what happens is because of the fact that you can put just a little bit of extra pressure down onto the workpiece. And sometimes that varies. Um, that little bit of variation results in tenons that some might be a little snug, some might fit perfect, some might be just a little bit loose, right? There's a little bit of a range there. Um, and, and again, this could just be me, but Matt, do you find that that's the sort of variability that you see off of power tools, especially with this operation uh, where you're not clamping the workpiece down, it's your hand pressure. And that yeah. in and of itself results in potentially slightly loose or slightly tight pieces. You would, I think you're going to see natural variability in anything you're doing, your hand feeding yeah. with, with power tools. The thing too, it could happen is you could have like a, a speck of dust or a little chip on, on your table, saw table, not see it, put your work piece on top of it. And now that one's going to be too fat Yeah, or, or because it didn't remove as much material. Or how about a slight bow in your sled or, or yeah. something or in or the piece stock itself is flat. Yeah. Right. See, right. This is, then that this is one of the things, too. cause I ran into this all the time when I was working with power tools It's like, it should all fit and it never did. <laughs> So yeah. when I started working with hand tools, it was like, well, pff, heck, you know, I couldn't batch anything out with my power tools anyway. Now I will admit <laughs> my power tools probably weren't as tuned as well as they should have been because I hate mm -hmm. doing that crap. So maybe I had a little bit more, you know, run out or something on my table saw or my bandsaw. Let's not even talk about that thing. But, you know, it was just like, well, if I can't get that repeatability, then what's the point? You know, so now I, I fit one joint at a time. And that tenon fits in that mortise and they're labeled as such. And, you know, that's I move on. I also find that it breaks up my life in the shop. Instead of just batching stuff out and cutting yeah. 11 tenons, I will cut a joint and then I'll go back and mill a board and cut the next joint. And I just find it keeps me a little bit more interested. And the funny thing is I kind of feel bad doing it sometimes because I feel like power tools should be better than this or I should be better at operating those power tools that if I have a bunch of mortise and tenons, I typically will label them and marry them to their mortises so that, I mean, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, Shannon, even though I did have power tools involved in this process, I'd like to get each one to be perfect. And it sometimes can be a very individual process. It's like this tenon, it's perfectly in this mortise and a story. Now I don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, I think that there's no doubt that it can be made to be that way. Like, yeah. like Matt was saying, anytime you're hand feeding, so if you were to then create a crosscut sled with like a, you know, some sort of toggle clamp or something on it yeah. and Hold every down, right? single tenon piece you put up against the fence of the crosscut, you lock the toggle down in place and then you run it across, you know, and if everything is tuned correctly, and this is probably, you've seen him work. I mean, this is how Daryl 
Peart does all his stuff, right? I mean, everything he's pulled out his micrometer and he's got his joints fit to within a thousandth of an inch most of the time. Mm -hmm. It's that level of precision. It's probably how you do it. You know, otherwise you are sweeping off the table saw to make sure there's no dust in the way and, you know, I don't know, holding your breath as you run it across the blade. (laughs) Do it exactly the same way. (laughs) Always stand on the same left foot. You know, it, it certainly can be, you can create this level of precision. You just have to adopt your, your methods, I think. Yeah. So what do you guys think about, uh, the fit? You know, so a lot of times what I tell people is that slip fit, you want something that goes together without hand pressure, but when you flip it upside down, it doesn't fall apart on its own. Yeah. It needs some help coming apart. Um, do you guys subscribe to that same sort of fit methodology? Is that what you're going for usually, or do you find that your joints tend to be a little bit tighter than that, a little bit looser. That I think is the, the bottom end of acceptable. Like it should fit mm-hmm. together and not fall apart under the pull of gravity. Now, that being said, I've certainly made joints that will kind of shift under the pull of gravity and I'm okay with that. I just draw bore it. <laughs> we're good. You know, or I use a gap filling glue and we're, we're epoxy. Good to go. Yeah. <laughs> high glue works great. Um, Did you guys know that epoxy is actually used as an adhesive? I've, nope. No kidding. False. False. Who knew? I mean, most people think it's a building That's material. That's a misnomer. <laughs> That's a misnomer right there. It can be used as a glue. Just thought I'd mention it. Um, but I think you can also go the other direction <laughs> where you have to pound it together. You know, as long as it doesn't mm-hmm. crack and break, it's still acceptable. Um, so if, if you in, guys in other words, if it's too thick and I have to knock together with a mallet, I'm not going to then go back and take some material yeah. off so that I get a hand pressure fit. I'm, I'm good with that. If you guys want to see an amazing display of knocking a joint together that is too soon, like it doesn't want to go together, but he does it anyway, uh, go to the guild and get the dovetail step stool series and watch Matt after, because he was in a rush to go home, right? He had a plane to catch, so he didn't have time to finesse his joints. We're just going. And he's like, we're going for it anyway. I can't believe that thing did not split during this process. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how I was like, Oh, it's a good teaching moment. Why you shouldn't make it too tight. But that's the split your board. Yeah, that's the extreme other side of this. And, oh man. It was, that took a lot of hammering, yeah. a lot of hammering. So that was pretty good. But in the context of a mortise and tenon, one of the dangers of making it a little bit too tight is a lot of times we're using water-based glues. So if you're doing a glue up and that mortise and tenon was pretty difficult to get together, but you're like, Hey, I want this thing to be nice and tight. What's going to happen when you add the glue is you may not be able to get that thing together or you may get it halfway in and now you're stuck. Right? So that is definitely something to be concerned about. You want a little bit of room for play in there because you're going to be swelling all the glue fibers, adding glue, and you got to get that thing together in the context of an actual full size glue up, which can get very complicated. I think we personally live in like this weird world of like everything has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of step outside of that world to realize that, yeah, we live in a fantasy where mm-hmm. we're like, oh yeah, we want these perfectly fitting Morse and tenon joints, but does it really matter yeah. that much? So one of like the more eye-opening things for me is with the chair kits that I'm doing, the fit of the Morse and tenons, I'm like, this seems really loose. Mm-hmm. But when I when I talk to them and I and I kind of got the perspective on it, it's made to be assembled as quickly as possible with as many parts that don't happen to fit together for whatever reason. So there is some tolerance for sloppiness. And it's going to be assembled with a water-based glue, which swells them right up. When you put it together for real, it feels right. So it's like, well, have I been just like living this disillusioned life where I'm like (laughs) spending all this extra time making these joints all perfect, where if it just goes together however sloppy, it doesn't really matter because the glue is going to swell it. It's all going to come together perfectly. And is it really going to fail? Yeah. Well, like, is it actually going to fail? How often are we actually relying on a single joint as opposed to the cumulative strength of at least four joints or eight joints? Right. So Mm -hmm. I think there is something to that. I don't think joinery needs to be quite the piston fit that we tend to shoot for. Well, and even some of the, it's been a while, but you know, fine woodworking always does really good joint strength tests. You know, they have a good repeatable, um, testing methodology. And I remember some time ago they did like tests between kind of that hammer tight fit, that friction fit and the slightly loose fit with the glued mm-hmm. together joint. And it was a negligible difference, um, in, in the actual strength. But again, where those fall down is they're taking that single joint and they're loading it in like the most inopportune direction, <laughs> yeah. like racking it at an extreme angle, you know, because it's that's almost where, like they're, that's almost where like they're setting fail. it up for failure. 
Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> but even then, the all that they want it to fail. <laughs> the amount of strength required to, especially a mortise and tendon joint, um, which mm-hmm. arguably may be the strongest one out there. I mean, it's ridiculous. But then you combine four of them together in a chair or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, well, we talked about this about dados and and somebody asked a couple of episodes ago, episodes ago, how are dados or rabbits strong? Yeah. Well, you put them all together into a box, you complete that circuit, if you will. It's really strong. Yeah. So I want to, I want to take a little bit of a step back. I'm kind of curious. Do you guys still use a tenon jig? Like the stick the piece vertical up in the air on the table saw thing. <laughs> I still have one. Do people still use those? And why did they, cause I remember having one and that was like, I, you I had to have one. Like it. Like it was, I never used it. it was absolutely imperative. And it was such a royal pain in the, you know what? It seemed like the slightest little deviation, you know, and you're cranking that table saw blade all the way up, which always freaked me out. Mm-hmm. And like the entire <laughs> blade exposed in order to cut that tendon cheek. I think I'm going to blame David Marks for this. Ooh. Right. Okay. He used, he actually did a lot of tenons with the tenoning jig. And I know okay. it certainly influenced me to buy one early on. I know that's where your router mortises came from. Cause that's all he ever did. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I suppose you're right. Not true. He actually had the multi-router. He used that a lot too. Oh yeah, that's true. But it's Later essentially woodwork. similar. So thing. did you. Yeah. Well, I had it for like <laughs> so six you. months. You pose it. Had it for six months and sold it. Cause I'm like, I can't use this because internet. <laughs> because oh, internet. Yes. I'll use the Domino instead. <laughs> hey, the Domino is like a quarter of the price. Uh, <laughs> All right. So, so I guess the point is it's not me, right? The tenon jig is kind of gone. I, I could have like, sworn there was a, uh, uh, there might've been a post in the guild somewhere that I was reading. Um, or maybe it was brought up on a live show. I can't remember, but someone kind of said that same thing. Like, does anyone still use these or, or why aren't we using these? Uh, what's wrong with them? So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think they're pretty good. I actually, when you get it dialed in, this is the, one of those things where we were talking about, if you can get a setup where your hands and hand pressure doesn't influence the position of the workpiece, you can actually get very repeatable dialed in settings. The, that is one of the tools that would allow you to make a tenon that is perfect like that because you're, again, you can't influence its position. It's simply, as long as there's no dust or, you know, nibs on the piece, when you clamp it in place, you should get perfectly repeatable results off of that. So I don't know why it's kind of fallen out of favor, why people aren't using it. It actually is, I think, a pretty good way to make a tenon. Interesting. Anybody wants to write in, please do. Or call in. Well, and I think Powermatic came out with their like new and improved version, but I think it was just too little too late. It was post-Domino. Like a lot of people, if they're looking for a quick solution, have moved on to something else, Domino, Pantorouter, Multirouter, uh, things like that. And uh, it definitely was a better version of of one of these jigs but i just think it was it was too late to the market and no one wanted to pay you know because you can get one of those cast iron run-of-the-mill ones for like 70 bucks 80 bucks yeah um delta cast iron thing sucker and they all look like they come out of the same factory right like just with a different (laughs) i'm sure they do actually (laughs) yeah (laughs) so just like my grizzly planer and your powermatic planer came out of the same factory just one had yellow paint one had green and yeah one put a baldar motor on it but you know right little details but I, I don't, I don't really know, Shannon. And I think if you're doing, um, there are joints where I still might use that, uh, certain types of maybe bridle joints. That's a time when I would go, maybe I should be looking at my tenoning jig for this. If it's a small enough work piece. Just because uh, it's a it's, longer cheek. You mean, what's that? Just because it's a longer cheek cut, like a, the uh, because it's, is longer? because it's something that if I'm going to cut at the table saw, I'm inclined to cut it with the work piece vertical, which that thing is like built to do. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it still doesn't change the fact. And especially for somebody lazy like Mark, you know, that's a separate setup. You don't want to change blades. Now you're like changing, you're moving the board around and making multiple cuts. No, see that, that is conducive to a lazy person because I don't have to change the blade. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. I mean, you're, you're just for right now you've got your, you've got your data stack and you know, of course you had to change the data stack. So, yeah, okay, so there for, we go. My last operation. So yeah, you don't have to change the blade at all. But you just have to slap the tenon jig on there. That said, this is a little bit more along the lines of what Matt says he does for his tenons. You would still have to, you know, to do your shoulders yeah. first, or yeah, I guess you could do them second, but if you're cutting a tenon with a tenoning jig, you got to establish those shoulders and then you remove the stock for the cheeks. Yeah. Two cut operation. Yeah. Now here's a, this is, this is. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Kind of related, kind of unrelated. Are you guys using an alternate grind blade, or are you, have you moved to like a square grind? I have right. one. Um, it's, it's handy for stuff like that, especially if you're doing shoulders. Uh, yeah. it's a, the number one grind blade from, um, uh, what you call it? Forest. I thought it was the number two. I'm misremembering. No, number that. one. Okay. At least mine says number one. You would know more than I would. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am yeah, not yeah, questioning yeah. the power tool wisdom. I remember having one. I bought it, I think because I was making box joints or something like that. But then yeah, I remember, oh, I got really super, super like clean, accurate, easier to set up tenon shoulders. Yeah. I, I didn't have to like rotate the blade around to get the right angle of the tooth to show up on my marking line or whatever. Right. Hmm. Well, and again, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's a, if you're inching toward perfection, that blade is going to help out. Ultimately, can you use a uh, ATB blade to do it? Of course, because it's going to give you a nice clean cut and what actually happens on the cheek and around the shoulder on the face of that cheek is meaningless in terms of fit. And uh, you know, it's just uh, the appearance is going to be, even if you have a groove that goes all the way around, who cares? It's not going to hurt anything. But yeah, I'd be curious to know what people say about that. You really just don't see that type of um, tenon cutting very often anymore. It's interesting. Hey, do you guys know whose mortises are always mortise and tenon joints are always a, uh, a slip fit. Perfect slip fit. Uh, Rockler. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a balloon losing its air <laughs> to form the word Rockler. <laughs> that was brilliantly done. Very nice. All right. Well, you know, maybe, maybe you're looking for a mortise and tenon alternative options. There are plenty of those and Rockler has got you covered. You can make loose mortise and tenons using Rockler's beadlock system. All you need is the jig and a drill. They offer a starter kit and a pro kit. Let's talk about beadlock for a second. Beadlock, I remember when that first came out, it was a forum darling. So many people were talking about this great method of making quick mortise and tenon joints with beadlock. So um, Matt, do you have one of these? No, it's actually something I've been uh, wanting to try. Okay. So it looks sweet. It really, I mean, it's, it's the simplicity is, is really the best part of it. Imagine, you know, when Shannon is boring out a mortise using a drill uh, to kind of get the bulk out of there. Imagine very controlled drilling in succession as you're going across to make your mortise, but it's, it's controlled so much that it creates this ridged sort of, um, well, how would you describe like overlapping that? Overlapping holes. Yeah, it's just overlapping holes that are perfectly spaced so that you can actually get beadlock stock that's pre-cut. I think they also have bits so you can make your own. Yeah, now you can yeah. make But your it own. creates this repeating pattern of this like half moon repeating pattern. And you just think of it like the domino in a sense. You can, <laughs> you can just cut it to length. It's like a dowel domino hybrid. It really is, yeah. If a, <laughs> if a dowel and domino got married, it would produce the beadlock. Baby beadlocks. Well, and it's, it's frankly, I had one of these years ago, like the version one, and mm -hmm. it is so much better now. Like it didn't have two fences and actually the fence itself. I mean, it was, it was, it was a little piece of steel that you clamped yeah. to the board. And if I remember correctly, like there were two little quick knobs on it that you loosened and you kind of adjusted it. There was some fine adjustment to position kind of laterally on the piece, but it was, you know, that was it. Yeah. You clamped it in place. There was no clamping mechanism and there weren't really bushings to guide the bit. I mean, there were, but they were really shallow. So they didn't right. really do that much guiding to the point where I remember 
it, the beadlock stock itself was always too tight. Like it was really tight. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up having to like go back and kind of like wiggle the drill bit and kind of ream the hole a little bit to get the beadlock stock to go in. Sure. But I mean, we're talking 19, well, there, then in of itself, 19, anything, you know, more than 20 years ago, I want to say it was 98 maybe when I had that. Jeez. So it, it definitely looks different now. I was just, oh, I just how old are geez, you? Jeez, my goodness. Oh, I right? wasn't even woodworking in 98. Holy smokes. I was, I was probably building speaker cabinets for my truck so I could lose my hearing. But other than that, <laughs> Hang on, um, I was 11. I don't know why I was <laughs> yeah. valuable too. Nothing important, Matt. I'm sure. Nothing important. I was a kid. Probably like going to school or You're something. Playing video games. You kid. Probably. I was probably oh, Legend of Zelda. There you go. Ocarina of Time. That's probably what I was doing. Well, I'm looking at their website. You're right. The Beadlock Pro joinery kit has come a long way because I, I kind of had the same thing you did, Shannon. Had one of the early models. Uh, and this thing is impressive looking. Yeah, it, I mean, it came weird. in like a little plastic thing that just like hung on a hook in the store. Yeah. Now yeah. it now it's in like its own box and it's got yeah. you know, there were no instructions either. It was just it's grown know. up. It's amazing. Very nice. Uh so how about uh the woodworking classic? Matt's favorite, pocket holes. Rockler does have oh, a pocket so oh, good. Yeah. Now, regardless of how you make it, I gotta say, and I've used pocket holes periodically, the clamping can be somewhat tricky. If you don't clamp properly, you can actually, you know, as you're driving your screw the workpiece shifts. It could be a huge pain in the butt. So they have a pocket hole clamp with a quick release that features a unique design. It inserts a uh, built-in adjustable pin into a 3 8 inch by 15 degree pocket hole. Um, so you get perfect alignment every time. So you're going to want to check that out. And of course, they also sell Craig jigs. Uh, you can find a nice selection of Craig products at Rockler. Um, how about dowels? Kind of alluded to that earlier. Uh, Rockler's dowling jigs are an incredibly affordable line for those who want a quick joint without all of that fussy layout, their no-nonsense doweling jigs deliver strong joints in very little time. Mm. So there you go. There's some alternatives for you. There's probably even more if you dig this, around on the Rockler site. Pocket hole clamp's kind of cool. I don't think I've I, I've seen it, but I thought it was like a I thought it was like a compact jig for drilling. Like you right. clamp it in place and it had a bushing on the end. I didn't realize it was actually a clamp. Yeah, and Pretty clamping slick. is everything. Like if you don't get that clamping done properly it will shift and then your perfect alignment goes out the window so oh this is pretty cool yeah it's a slick little uh little device there makes me wish i liked pocket holes <laughs> such a snob <laughs> look at you <laughs> all right well thanks for supporting the Someone show has to take that position you do uh, thanks for supporting the show rockler we appreciate it go uh, check out all these things and more at rockler.com so let's get back to our topic here joe clemmer says what other than speed is your determining factor on using traditional mortise and tenons versus the floating tenon? So floating tenon, also known as loose mortise and tenon. These days, if you're on YouTube, it's now known as domino joinery. <laughs> Regardless if it was cut with a domino. Exactly. Yes. It's taken, it's taken over the terminology. If it's a loose mortise and tenon, it's a domino. It's the Kleenex of tenons. It really is. Poor. I wonder if that bothers, do you think <laughs> it bothers them? Poor B. Or you think it's good? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, companies, when they, when something becomes just like, like Kleenex as an example, it's actually to a degree, not good for the brand. So I wonder if uh festival's annoyed by this or they love it. And you can ask Kleenex and thermos and, uh, something else. Xerox. Xerox. There you go. Mm-hmm. Band-Aid. Yep. There's a lot of them, huh? Yeah. That's the thing. It, it, once it gets lost then it just becomes part of the terminology, it isn't always good for the brand. You can ask daddy Google. Hey. King of internet search. Hey, Daddy Google. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that on Bing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, good job. Well done, sir. Woo! All right. So, what other than speed is your determining factor on using traditional mortise and tendon joints? Now, I can tell you this, and this is the inside baseball stuff. My primary decision making on whether or not I use a loose mortise and tenon or a integral one is a content-based decision. It's whether I, <laughs> you know, it, well, okay. If it's the domino, like I won't hesitate to do a router cut loose mortise and tenon joint. That's educational. Almost every woodworker that watches my stuff has a router. They can do the same thing. It's when I pull out the domino that I have to start thinking, do I want to deal with it or not? <laughs> do I want to well, deal with the fallout? Here's the, here's the thing with the floating tens though. Like not cut with a domino, cut with a router mm-hmm. is like workpiece 
So if you're going to cut like a floating tenon on the end of like a style or rail or whatever. Yes. Like on the end grain into the end grain of like a three inch wide, three quarter inch thick piece of wood. You got to have some kind of platform. Right. Already set up for that. Yeah. So that's going to deter me from doing that. Just making an integral. It's like too much work to set up just to make that mortise in the end of that piece. Well, the funny thing is, Shannon, you, you, I think you filled out the notes here. You have a question that we didn't address earlier. What is the weirdest way that you've cut one of these joints? <laughs> that's this, you, That's where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is leading into that. And I have done standing this on a one stool <laughs> in order to get the height. Yeah. <laughs> like eight feet in the air trying right. to, you know, mortise into the end of a board, which is so yeah. ridiculous, but I've, I have done it. <laughs> yeah. I actually I actually have a split level house. So when you come in the front door, there's stairs up and stairs down. <laughs> I ran the board like down the stairs, standing on the upper uh-huh. level, clamped it to the railing. So there it's like go. running 12 feet down so I could actually get level with it. Oh, I, was quite I like proud this of that. a lot. I was quite proud of that. <laughs> you know, this is one being, of those uh, OSHA pictures. <laughs> being that in the hand tool world, you just really you don't use loose tenons all that much. I mean, every mm-hmm. now and then I suppose you could see it. For me, it would come down to angles. When the minute you start cutting angles on that tenon piece, whether it be compound or simple angles, it just ends up being a lot easier to just cut the angled butt joint and then drill the mortise. You Excellent know? So point. You, Real uh, good point. Because then you get your spacing, you get your lengths, everything can be, you can get it all fitted so that you could literally clamp, dry clamp the piece together mm-hmm. and now everything would line up perfectly. And then it's just a matter of, running that mortise off, off the end grain. I think that, and, and that especially with the domino, because I'm tending to think of like chairs and things and you're dealing with narrower parts. There just would be a heck of a lot easier to not have to have the whole router base plate sled crap. Just, just stick the domino yeah. in there and go for it. I absolutely agree. I wouldn't have even thought of that, but it's totally true. If, yeah, if well, something starts you have a to multi-router get, or had a multi-router, I don't, it's been gone for years. It's gone. <laughs> I'm over it now. Uh, if, if you've got a complicated angle situation, chairs, you know, certain chair parts come, come to mind. Um, I can get my head around how I'm going to, you know, those two pieces meet if it's a butt joint, right? But as soon as I have to now think about what that tenon is doing and how that engages <laughs> with the mortise, it is, it's a whole different game, especially as a power tool user. It, I think it's more challenging. Shannon is just drawing a line and cutting to it. Um, I've got to figure out a way to I get win. my miter gauge to, to work. And then I got to, I got to have like the mirror image ability on this. So if I have to cut the other side or another part, I have to figure out how to get all this stuff perfect across the board. And my gosh, is it so much easier to just say, I'm going to cut this to 25 degrees. I'm going to then put a router on the end of it and make a mortise. And that's a good thing because anytime you, you use a router to make that mortise, you're always perpendicular to the joint, regardless of which workpiece you're working on. So you don't have to worry about like angled mortises and things like that. You're just always perpendicular to the surface. So Excellent point, Shannon. Hey, look at that. A hand tool guy can get a power tool thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else you have concerns, anybody? I, I, I know I personally don't have concerns about strength uh, when it comes no. to an in, uh, integral versus loose. It's strong enough. Yep. Nope. And this goes back to what we were saying about those joint tests. It's like, so the integral mortise and tenon uh, has a 350 pounds of pressure and 325 for the, the loose mortise and tenon multiplied by eight joints means I don't care. Yep. <laughs> it's not going to matter <laughs> at all. <laughs> okay. Um, I've Ivar Sandy. Is that, that's interesting. Well, how let's go to Matt, our ex, say, uh, resident Matt. expert in pronunciation. How do you pronounce that name? Ivar sand. Okay. Let's go with that. <laughs> Ivar wants to know <laughs> at what point would you make double tenons, both either side by side or one on top of the other? Now I've got a bed project I'm working on. The headboard has five and six inch wide slats at the back. I just made really long mortise and tenon joints. And someone actually asked me at what point does the width of that board dictate that you would want to go with a split tenon on there instead of a single long tenon. And my thought was, well, I didn't feel like doing the extra work. So these are now four inch long mortise and tendon joints. And I'm, and will it be fine? Yes, because it has to be. Yes, because it's the headboard. Because <laughs> some slats and a headboard. Slats and a headboard. It's going to be what's fine. It, what's going to happen to it? It's going to explode. I'm almost going to jump on it. Oh, who's going to jump like perpendicular to the wall? Maybe my mother. In, into, into your headboard. It's my mom's bed. I don't know what she's doing in there. 
Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> back away from that one slowly. <laughs> we're okay. We're okay making mom jokes now. Let, All let, right. me, let me back. Let me backpedal a little as long bit. As, you, as long as you're joking on your own mom. Yeah. Is that, is that where it's at? Okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not worried about it at that point, but there really is a, a breaking point here. I mean, let's expand this to the extreme and talk about a breadboard end. Uh, that's a situation where you probably want to break those things up and not necessarily have one effectively what is one giant long mortise and tenon joint. Um, so is there, you guys have a number in mind uh, at what point and what width you would lean towards splitting that tenon up? Um, there is a rule of thumb. I, I do think anything over, you know, that four to five inch mark, you should probably start thinking about it. There's, there's, um, shoot, I'm trying to remember it now. It's like a one to six ratio of thickness to width. And if the width of the tenon exceeds six times the thickness, you should do a twin tenon or a double tenon. There's nothing confusing about that at all. No, no. But I mean, this is like, if you were to go back in like, like a Tayfrid book or, you know, something textbook rule. Right. That was the rule that was, uh, that was adhered to. But the problem with that is the reason behind why, because why would you make a, a, a double tenon or see, first of all, I call double tenons and twin tenons different things too. So they're side by side. I tend to call them a twin tenon. If they're one on top of the other, I call them a double tenon. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's just what I do. Okay. Um, some people will say it's because of wood movement. Well, how does that work? Like if you have, <laughs> you're still restricting it. it when you if have you two. have two tenons and they're both glued, how is that a wood movement thing? <laughs> Unless you leave one of the tenons dry and maybe make the bottom, like the, that mortise slightly wider, but that just sounds an awful lot like work. So then I thought, well, if you're, if you like have woodwork, Oh, <laughs> if you have a six inch wide tenon, a six inch wide tenon is going to move the same percentage as a four inch wide tenon. But again, the percentage, it's a percentage thing, right? So the movement of a four inch tenon will be less than that of a six inch tenon because it's a percentage game. So I'm thinking that's the idea. Like instead of having a six inch tenon, now I have two two inch tenons with some space in between and that two inch tenon will barely move. I guess that's really what people are going for. But that's the other thing. Like you apply this rule of thumb to it and it's almost like we're just following it blindly because and I don't know that Tafer had said it, but that sounds like where it would come from, like that type mm -hmm. of book. You know, somebody said that, so we need to do it. And I just don't know that that's really the case anymore. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a strength thing? Just in terms of a, a wider mortise and tenon? Well, there time. is something to be said about a smaller mortise. Like if you are, you know, you're cutting this into like a table leg and you excavate out a six inch wide mortise. Sure, you're yeah, yeah. pulling a lot of internal structure out of that leg. So just by adding like a one inch wide little, little bit of webbing in between connected tissue will dramatically increase the strength there. So there is something, well, will it dramatically? I don't know. I'm pulling that out of nowhere. Um, seems like it would. Theoretically, <laughs> like good at least. So I think the best example for that though is the breadboard end. Yeah. splitting that up versus having one long continuous giant mortise that becomes a lot more weak because you have these like little flaps mm -hmm. on top and bottom yeah so that that over the tabletop like someone could sit on the end of that thing it's a lot of leverage yeah onto that area so if you don't have a strong mortise and especially the breadboard end which isn't always going to be most was not glued either mm -hmm. so you got to have a strong mortise there yeah or more as part. Well, Matt, there was a time I recall, can't remember, oh, what project was it? Maybe your sofa table or something. You did a, a case joint and it was all solid wood. And instead of just doing just like a little dado, like a standard dado, or even a, um, it's kind of <laughs> the way you did it. It's kind of hard to describe exactly what the joint was, uh, but it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of a dado, but you had sections that were a little bit deeper, almost like what you would do on a breadboard. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. So you the, went deeper. Crenellated tenon. <clears throat> there you go. That's a good, yeah. I like that. Okay. So you did this, this crenellated tenon and I looked at that and I'm like, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> like I wouldn't have done that. I ain't got time for that. Yeah. That little extra step, which is great. It was cool to see, but it really overcomplicated it, but you saw a benefit to it. So it was I mean, on that, on that project is definitely overkill. Cause that was a sofa table. Yeah. Okay. And those are the vertical dividers. Yep. But if you're doing like an actual piece of casework where you have like, 
say you're doing a, a, a casework sideboard, yeah. and you have to have a vertical panel intersecting the top and bottom in the middle of the case. Mm-hmm. So what the crenellated tenon is, is essentially a box joint that exists in the middle of a board. Right. Right. Instead of being on the end. Yeah. It was super cool though. It's the same, it's the same difference. Like, okay, so you're going to put this divider in a dado or you're going to put it in with the crenellated tenon. So the equivalent to that on the end of the board is, are you going to do just a rabbit joint or are you going to do box joints? Mm-hmm. So if I'm not going to do, if rabbit joint is not good enough for me on the end of a board, a dado is not good enough for me in the middle of a board. Does that make sense? In your mind, I'm sure it does. Okay. <laughs> That's what it was. Now I remember it was a divider. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a real big structural issue. It was just not in that one. Cause that's just a table. Yeah. In that case, a, it was just a teaching a perspective. It was like, hey, if you're going to expand this to do an actual case piece, yeah, yeah. Is it- you're going to have a, a full like solid wood divider there. Cause solid wood joinery is like a little bit different than if you're doing like a plywood. Plywood is what a glue, whatever you got half. It's going to be long grain anyway, no matter which way you cut it and put it together. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can get away with a little more, but if you want to go for your long grain connections, yeah, be a little bit different with the solid wood. Show, show, show. So how about the, I guess, Shannon, you, you drew the line in the sand on the terminology. You're going to call it uh, like the, the stacked <laughs> version. You're going to call it what a twin, twin tenon? Uh, stacked version, I would call it double tenon. Okay. That's what I would see, call but, it. See, it's all a matter of how the board is oriented. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I built a, I built a side table recently where I used both double and twin tenons and I had to draw something because I had to, I had to be able <laughs> to talk to about differentiate it. them. Right? I had to differentiate. So in the instance of I had a wider apron that went into post legs and that had a double tenon. The and then the lower rail that went below the drawers had a twin tenon. So it's it's kind of the same thing, but when you turn the board 90 degrees, that the face is now pointing up instead of out to the side, it was that instance I had to create two little tenons because I didn't want to remove like the entire guts of the leg. Yeah. I was cutting into the leg. And if I put one tenon there, I would have essentially hollowed out the entire leg, like right above the, the, um, the turn section. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that called when it goes from the square part to the turn part? I'm forgetting that name. Transition. I don't know. No, no Is that a real word. Is, is there a real word? No, pommel. There, there is pommel. a term. Pommel. The pommel. Oh. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it was there. It was just, you know, turning spinning thing. around like an Olympian or Turn-y something. Thing. Um, <laughs> the, 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 tenon went in right at the square part, right at the pommel transition. So, you know, okay. immediately wow, see transition. There it is. Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. Sure. Matt. Yours is You're more right. of a broader mm-hmm. term, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, Matt on the head. Good job, Matt. Okay. Now quiet. Good job, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> let the, let the ground stop. <laughs> the point was, is there was a, a, a reduction in, in thickness of the piece, you know, cause I went yeah. from a, I think a two inch square down to about a one and three quarter inch round. And I was cutting a tenon right at that point, or excuse me, cutting a mortise right at that point. And if I had made a two inch wide, one and a half inch deep mortise, I would have essentially just hollowed out the entire leg, which seems to me like kind of like a nice way to perforate the leg. (laughs) So you could just kind of give it a swift kick and it would snap right at that pommel. So I broke it up and by adding, making that a twin tenon, there was a connective long grain tissue in the leg that ran the full length. That so how about if you have like sense a, at all. a really thick piece, you know, thick work piece, and I'm thinking something like the domino makes it very easy to do a double mortise and tenon. It's like, well, it, you know, do, but would we count that as being stronger? Um, so let's just say you've got a, a piece of, I don't know, eight quarter. Would you rather see two tenons? Let's, let's just assume the work is, you know, irrelevant, the amount of work. Uh, would you consider uh, two tenons in there, two narrower tenons, thinner tenons to be stronger than a single fat tenon. No, I don't think so. I mean, as long, as long as the adjoining workpiece doesn't get thinned out, like we talked about with a leg that you just hollowed out, assuming it's going into a fatter, thicker piece. Well, like the four post bed that I made, I specifically made thicker tenons Mm -hmm. Um, because I had thick stock to begin with, you know, they were 16 quarter posts and like 10 quarter rails. So I had plenty of thickness. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's a beast. It's heavy. Um, (laughs) well, but you know, in that instance, I was also using knockdown joinery with like a scutcheon plates, like Mm -hmm. very traditional long bed bolt style. 
So I needed the thickness of that tendon to be able to bore a hole right through the center of it. But even then, because it was a thicker tendon, I was able to go with a shorter tendon. It was more of like a stub tendon because I had, well, this is irrelevant because I didn't glue it together. I used bed bolts, but you have so much glue surface, you know, because it's really wide. Um, it wasn't all that long, but because there was just this massive amount of glue surface, both, you know, all the way around on all four sides of that tenon. No, I, I feel like it would still be stronger even if I didn't bore a hole through the middle. Yeah. Like, and, and you can't really, um, ignore the extra work because it's a lot of extra work. It, yeah. It can make it. A if real you've got work. like a, you know, one in or two inch thick tenon or three inch thick tenon to go in and cut the material out in the middle is not just a matter of a couple of saw cuts, but then you've got to excavate the material in between like making a female bridal joint, right? You've yeah. got to actually and get all that out of there. And then you've then got you to got cut a, two mortises. Well, then you've got a narrow shoulder in there that has to be cleaned up. So even if you're doing this, you know, power tools, you may still have some cleanup between those little uh, skinny tenons. Yeah. Well, the gain, funny thing about this what? is I'm thinking okay. like, how many times have I actually done a, a, a double or twin, either one of these? And I'm like, well, I remember I did it once. Because I wanted to make a video about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's a sample piece. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's a good, strong joint. That's really good. But how many times do I actually execute that joint in my furniture? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I should, maybe there's some instances where I could have or should have, but unless it's with the domino where it's just super easy, I'm going to find another way to do it just because I don't think it's worth, you know, whatever gains, excuse me, whatever gains you get from it. I don't know that that's worth it for me for, for the time. Agreed. It's interesting. Agreed. Agreed. All right. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for us. Um, I want to remind you guys that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Rockler is a family owned business since 1954. It's a year before my mom was born. Did you guys know that? Just no. Little, nope. I did not know a little that. bit of trivia no, for you. No, we do. Uh, they're your go to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware lumber and expert advice whether you're building a simple bookshelf a custom desk or a new set of kitchen cabinets rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success visit rockler.com and use the code woodtalk to receive free shipping on most orders over 39 dollars hooray thanks rockler please we send us some questions we're talking joinery this month so if you've got joinery questions send them in to us and we'll try to address them especially all those mortise and tenon questions that i asked for in the last show and then went on to record a Mortis and Tenon episode right after it. So <laughs> it's a good point, man. We really why appreciate you, those Mortis and Tenon's questions that we've completely <laughs> Thanks ignored for sending them in. by batch recording our episodes. We So thank you. <laughs> but if you want to send a question, go to woodtalkshow.com. You can find a form there or you can record a voice memo and email that to woodtalkshow at gmail.com or just find us on Instagram. You can find us there at woodtalkshow. A little bit of a pattern developing there. Woodtalkshow, just do that. Or if you want, you can find us individually, Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer, and Renaissance Woodworker on the Instagrams and other associated social media platforms. The Grams. The Grams. So this week, we talk about mortise and tenons. And one thing that woodworkers love to do is over-engineer stuff. And the mortise and tenon is, is ripe territory for this. There's all kinds of mortise and tenon variants. You know, crazy shaped tusks and angle, angular wedged twin double tenons and such. Send us your example of the fanciest, most hoity-toity mortise and tenon joint that you have ever cut. And mark it with hashtag WoodTalk474. That's exciting. <laughs> I'm glad I you can't wait. So. <laughs> I just made that up right now. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you guys do. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.